Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. The Gospel that we just heard now from the Gospel of Luke speaks about some things which seem as though they're disparate, as though they're disconnected. We hear at the beginning that there is a multitude that presses around the Lord. You can imagine him. He would have been close to the seashore and people were pressing around him as he started, they started to understand who he was. And as they began to press around him, it would have forced him to the edge of the water. And so then realizing then that people couldn't hear him, that they were unable to access what he was saying, he then took one of the little boats and he put out a little and he sat down. And again, that sounds strange to us because we're used to it now where the person that he's speaking stands and those who are listening sit. But in ancient Judaic society, the person that would teach would sit and everybody else would stand so that there would be attention, so that there would be focus, so that they could focus on the words, so they wouldn't become um, complacent, sitting, relaxed, not receiving a word with deepness. That's one of the original reasons why in the early churches there were no pews in the church. You're very lucky now we have some pews. But in the early church, in many Orthodox churches, you won't find any pews to always keep us at attention, to keep our bodies worshipping. And so then he sat in a boat. Our Lord was a master teacher. Um, one of the things that many of you may know or you may not know is if you fish a bit or you're out on boats a bit, you'll also understand, is that when water is still, it carries audio, it carries sound waves much, in a much stronger way than natural land. And so then putting out, even at 50 metres from the shore, the Lord's message then would have carried out to all those who were sitting on the beach, sitting on the shore. And then it says something strange when he stops speaking. We hear about all this effort that he goes onto a boat in order that he can preach to them this multitude that's pressing around him and yet we don't hear anything of the content of his preaching. The next line, when he stops speaking, he then looks at Peter and says to him, launch out into the deep and let down your nets. But Simon answered him and said, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And again, for those of us that are interested in fishing, um, this doesn't seem too strange, but it's actually very strange. These fishermen would have been fishing all night. They would have been there from, from midnight on, waiting to just the beginning, just before sunset, knowing that that was their greatest chance of catching fish. And they caught nothing. And then a carpenter comes, our Lord, who, as far as we know, has no expertise in fishing, and tells them, launch out into the deep and let down your nets. So Peter would have been sitting there. The Lord was in Peter's boat. And as he was sitting there and hearing this message, which we have no idea what that Lord was saying, he then hears from the Lord, go and fish. By now it may have been 11 a.m., it might have been 12 a.m. They'd been fishing all night. They knew the lake far better than the Lord, theoretically. And now our Lord is telling them, go and let down your nets and see what happens. And Peter then says to him, even though it makes no sense, we toiled all night 
We caught nothing. Even though it's ludicrous that you, a carpenter, are telling us how to fish. Even though we've just tested the waters and we were just fishing. Nevertheless, at your word, I would let down the net. And then when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish so that their net began to break. The weight of the fish was so heavy, the nets began to break. And so they started signaling to their partners who were in other boats and saying to them, come, come help us. And they came and filled both boats so that they both began to sink. And then the gospel says, Simon Peter saw it. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. The response to something that is astonishing, that we don't see as astonishing, but anyone who would have fished those lakes would have known to be a miracle, was, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Depart from me. I can't be in your presence. When I truly encounter Christ, when I truly come face to face with Him, when I'm in His presence, there can be only one true reaction. That I kneel down before Him, that I throw myself at His feet, and say to Him, Depart from me, Lord, for I am unworthy to be in Your presence. We have lost that sense of reverence. We've lost that sense of encounter, of being in front of the One who is our Creator. We are His creation. We've lost the sense of who God is. So much so that when we're in front of Him, we think nothing of it. We're distracted. We talk. We're not focused. Our minds are focused on the things of the world. That's why the church in her wisdom, knowing how weak we are, how weak all of us are, how much we struggle to be focused, to truly encounter who Christ is, the church gives us kneeling. That's why so much of our worship services are prostrations, which come from a Greek word which means matanya, literally metanoia, a repentance, a change of mind, a transformation of mind. The church puts that in our worship, that we bow down before Him, so that we learn what is the one rightful reaction when we stand before Him, to fall down before Him at His feet in repentance. Father Roman Braga, who was a, um, a very beautiful um, Romanian priest who passed away, who suffered a great deal in his life um, during communism and other things, was once asked the question, how many prostrations should we do in our prayers? How many times should I bow down and kneel before the Lord? And he said, just one. And they said, well, so how come we have so many prostrations? Why during the liturgy do we bow down so many times? Why in our personal prayers do we bow down before the Lord so many times? Why do, when we're singing, Lord have mercy in our personal prayers, do we do it 40 times? Why? He said, no, 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 you just need one. Because every time you do one prostration and you kneel before Him, it is a complete submission and surrender of yourself into the hands of God. I have to know that I am before Him. And so then, if I can do one prostration, that when I do that, I bow myself completely before Him, as Peter, depart from Him, my, my Lord. I'm a sinful man. I'm unworthy of Him. Even one complete surrender of myself before my Creator, He said, it's enough. He said, but you might need to do hundreds, if not thousands a day, to learn how to do that one prostration. You might have to do it thousands of times. You might have to do it hundreds of times on a Sunday. 
bowing yourself before the Lord, before your body starts to teach your mind and your heart what it means to truly fall down before the Lord in reverence, knowing that I am before the creator of the universe, knowing that I am before not only my creator, but the greatest being. And so there is only one reaction to encountering Christ, bowing before him. But if you notice in the gospel, there is also only one response of Christ to us bowing down before him. Do not be afraid. We might see his might and his strength, as Peter did, when he bowed before him and said, Depart from me, Lord, for I'm unable to be in your presence after I've seen what you've just done. But Christ doesn't leave us there. He lifts us up. He embraces us and then whispers to us, Do not be afraid. The gospel says, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch me. Do not be afraid. Many years ago, I was praying a liturgy at a a different parish for a feast day. And as I was standing on the side of the altar, because there was another priest that was praying at the altar, I saw a young man come very disturbed into the church. And he was crying and he was weeping. He was unable to control himself. Uncontrollable weeping. And then he came to the altar and he looked at me. And so I was thinking, what can I say to comfort him? I was thinking, my Lord, give me something to do, something to comfort him. You know, I was was thinking of some verses, something to say to him, to give him a little bit of peace because he was so disturbed. Thinking what I could do to help him. And then he started to walk and he walked right past me. I was inconsequential to what he was after. Um, And there was an old priest that was sitting on the ground because he was unable to stand. And he knelt at the feet of the old priest and wept and just started crying and crying, incredibly distressed. And the priest didn't say a word. He grabbed him into his chest, lifted him up, and then just kept kissing his forehead. And he did that for five minutes. He didn't say a single word to him. And then that young man stood up and had full of peace in his heart, unable to contain his smile, and walked out the altar. I was thinking, what can I say? What is it I can do to give peace to this person who is in a state of distress? And yet this old priest just sat there, hugged him, kissed his forehead, lifted him up, and that was enough. For me, watching this, I saw an icon of Christ, of how Christ acts with every single one of us. There is only one response to his presence. There is only one response to encountering Depart from me, Lord, from a sinful man. I'm unworthy of you. And there is only one response of Christ, an inevitable response of Christ, to when I bow down before him in repentance. Do not be afraid. He lifts me up. That is his only response, regardless of the filth in my heart, regardless of what I want, regardless of everything that I am. He lifts me up and says, do not be afraid. As St. Isaac the Syrian says, the beginning and the end of the Lord's dealing with us are mercy. The beginning and the end of the Lord's dealings with us are mercy. But that embrace, that lifting up, if you notice, he didn't just say, do not be afraid, you are forgiven. He says, do not be afraid, from now on you will catch men. And Peter then goes from that point, 
doesn't take the money that he's got from all this extra fish that he's caught to establish a franchise and other businesses. He takes it and it says, and they followed him and they forsook all. It's not enough to hear the words of Christ. It's not enough even, forgive me, to experience his mercy. Even that is not enough. There must be change. He lifts us up to change us, to empower us, to use us for his own sake. So then let every single one of us come before him during this liturgy, throwing ourselves at his feet, kneeling before him in deep repentance and amazement, saying, Depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful person. And he with certainty, with absoluteness, will embrace us, lifting us up, whispering to us, do not be afraid. Because this is who our beautiful God is. The one who embraces and lifts us up to himself. If you observe in the resurrection icon up there, the Lord lifts up Adam and Eve, lifts up all of humanity to himself, making us into himself, forming us into his own image, conforming us into himself. Glory be to God forevermore. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.